0: Welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host Rich Fay, and I'm joined this week by Samuel Luckhurst. Samuel, how are you doing? You were at Villa Park this weekend. Did you enjoy it or maybe did you enjoy 65 minutes of it? I, I enjoyed it as a spectacle, definitely.
1: it was a, It was a barnstorming game. Um I didn't enjoy the the rewrite process as soon as the the first Villa goal went in. And and I say it from a purely professional perspective. I, I found it more crushing when Villa scored the first goal because I just knew there's no way United are holding on here. Uh, all this positivity and it had been very, very positive up until that point is just about to get completely kiboshed. So um Great to be back there with a the crowd present. Um, Ty, who's obviously absent today, had had a bit of an issue when he got there. and they told him that they didn't have a pass for him, but fortunately, he negotiated a breakthrough and, and got into cover the game. So maybe, maybe United could hire him. Uh, it, was a, it was a pretty quick breakthrough, all things considered. So it wouldn't, maybe, it wouldn't be a bad hire in that respect.
0: Yeah. Well, they love anyone who can get a result against the odds, don't they? And you never know what happens when, when that is the case. Um, before this gets onto probably another negative podcast and the mood becomes quite sombre, should we reflect on what, ironically, was quite a good performance for a half or so? It's as well, convincing he's not have been under Ralph Rannick that first half, and then by the end of it, I'll get the stats up in a minute, but I think Aston Villa completed the most passes they have against any team this season. They're the most, well, the highest XG, which I know is quite a controversial stat for you, Samuel, because it's just how many times you put the ball in the net that matters. I mean, um, yes. Yeah, meaningless <laughs> stats. But in terms of meaningless stats, Villa ended it with their league the highest all season in so many areas. But United had actually played well before it all capitulated in the second half. Do you put that down to the tactical acumen of Ranić or is it down to the players themselves? Probably both, but as you said, that early goal, um,
1: that it just transformed the the mood. It was it was completely different from what we've seen in recent weeks. Fernandez overall had his best performance since the Leeds game, probably at the start of the season. Uh, he was linking up very well in those uh, left left hand side combinations with Alex Tellez and, and Anthony Langa. Um, the, the the goal was fortuitous, but his second goal um, in the second half was was very clinically taken. But you just sense during that thirty or thirty five minute. Period of dominance that they needed to score a second goal. Then they obviously did go two nil up eventually. But if they'd gone two nil up in the first half, the dynamic would have been completely different. That there was some booze at halftime from Villa supporters. That they are one of the most fickle bunch of supporters I've ever come across in going to games. And given that it was just a half in and they'd had a couple of decent openings towards the end of the half, and it was only one nil. i found it quite perplexing that there were as many boos as there were, but if United had gone in 2-0 up, then Villa would have been even more demoralised and United would have had felt emboldened to at least go on and maybe get a third goal. Anthony Alanga had a really good half. Um I thought Fred did very well uh, in terms of his pressing. It, it certainly helped him with with Matic holding the four and there'll be a sequel to that when you when we get onto the negatives of it. But as a collective performance, it was it was pretty good. And unfortunately, for United, um, with with the mentality that the squad has and uh, the, the dubious um, management from from Rangnick, which has has been a bit too rife for someone who only got into the job at the start of last month, uh, they they have to be well out of sight to to win games. And yesteryear, it would be Villa going two 0 up at Villa Park and United coming back to get get a draw or get a win and when the roles are reversed it's it seems about just right for this current united side
0: yeah exactly like you said it's inevitable i mean you said before the game i think didn't you You and taibo said that you're expecting a draw you probably weren't expecting a draw when it did hit sort of 60 minutes mark Hmm. you know at villa park and that is maybe what's so disappointing isn't it that it is one step forward, two steps back for United again. And like you said, there are negatives there, which we will get onto, but maybe one last positive, And I guess that was a languor because no Rashford, no Ronaldo. Ranick had said, you know, he expected them both to be back fit for the game, but they failed late fitness tests. And again, there will probably be doubts for the Brentford game on Wednesday, but Rannick will give his press comments before the match. Hopefully get an update on that. But, yeah, in terms of individuals, anyone else stand out for you? You've mentioned Fernandez, arguably one well, of his maybe second best performance all season. Elanga, I thought was you know quite mature, he looked didn't look out of his depth in the Premier League. Um, De Gea, some more important saves. Am oh, I clutching at straws too much?
1: This is this is becoming like the club website uh podcast, isn't it? Now, but in fairness to Elanga and what was his first truly competitive league start, given that the, the two he starts in last season were in May in those matches where United heavily rotated the side before more meaningful games against Liverpool. And Real, he, he did really well. He, he his, his direct running uh, was, was a breath of fresh air. He had Matty Cash on the back foot. I think his decision-making with his runs was very good as well. Um, he didn't look out of his depth at all in that first half. And possibly the biggest compliment that you can pay him is that um, Matty Cash really got back on the front foot when Jane Sancho came on. Uh, again, we'll probably go into that at some point, but yeah, just uh, that I can just say that really so, <laughs> nothing says a lot with with Sancho. Uh, Dyer's saves were, I, I think he should be making all of those yeah. saves. The one from Ramsey in the second half, he, he gets it away from goal, which is the main thing. Um, I'd probably say the main, uh, sorry, the most impressive aspect of that one, but the flip side of it was that his, his kicking became disastrous and it seemed as soon as the crowd got truly behind Villa, uh, that pressure told and that's been a theme all season with crowds back. United have been rumbled with supporters back and proper pressure present mm-hmm. at football matches and we saw it with Harry Maguire at Leicester, we saw it again with pretty much the whole team at Villa Park on on Saturday.
0: And like you've said before as well, Samuel, that's why last season is such an unreliable gauge of where United are at, because they had that amazing unbeaten away run. But it was those sort of games that we saw against Villa where if they've got fans, they've got a new signing coming on, it just swayed the whole yeah. atmosphere. And last season, United didn't have that. They were star- sterile matches and they were getting lots of wins where under recent circumstances, you know, they would be dropping those points, but they, they didn't have them. And well, I'm on the subject of those meaningless stats from before then, so Aston Villa outplayed you know for an hour they ended the game with their highest expected goals in a match this season their most shots on target in a match this season their most completed passes in a match this season and their most progressive ball carries in a match this season which I don't know what that means either but it sounds impressive doesn't it so what went wrong for United then in your eyes was it the substitutions the lack of substitutions or or what was it a mentality issue that United thought they were home and dry when they went 2-0 up it
1: was pretty apparent in the first 10 minutes of the second half that they needed to make a change because Villa were on top of them. The control they had in the first half, which ended around 35 minute Mark, because I think it was five minutes of added time. So the last 10, 15 minutes of the first half Villa were almost practically decamped in United half. They, they'd eventually entered the contest in the second half. They, they were able to carry that momentum into it. Gerard said he, he had to tell some home truths at halftime, which you'd imagine he would do. And of course, it was inevitable that Coutinho was going to come on sooner or later. So the crowd was going to get a lift from that. The team was inevitably going to get a lift from that as well. As I said about Matic earlier, he justified his existence up to a point in that Fred is clearly better for United when he's not playing as as deep because he's very good at pressing. He can force errors. Uh, He obviously got the assist for the second goal by being higher up the pitch. But Matic was obviously compromised by getting booked in the first half. He's also compromised by his age. He's also compromised by being about as fleet-footed as an England batsman. So in an ideal world, Rangnick would have taken off Matic and put on another defensive-minded midfielder. Obviously, United cannot do that because they don't have another defensive-minded midfielder. And so at 1-0, to myself and Ty, it seemed obvious that they needed to bring someone on to gain more control because Villa was starting to, where Villa outnumbered them in midfield, it was starting to tell. It it didn't in the first 30, 35 minutes, probably because Villa were thrown by that mistake by Martinez. But where the game was now nearing the hour mark and Matic was on a booking and he played the best part of an hour, the dynamic was completely different and United couldn't keep the ball. And Fernandes was regressing. He was playing sloppy passes. One pass, Rangnick was just turned away in disgust. Uh, and that was at 1-0. And of course, they'd make it 2-0. At that point, it was a bit against the run of play. They, they were starting to threaten on the counter-attack. But they still needed to make a substitution. Because unlike yesteryear, when United go 2-0 n- up in a game, it's, it's not game over anymore. And it was just dilatory of, of Rangnick to wait and wait and wait and obviously Gerard brought Coutinho on eventually, as everybody expected he would do. And I think the, the, the three, I don't think you know, any of the United substitutes started warming up in the second half till around the 65th minute uh, mark. It was it was when Fernandes got got trod on. So it was around about that time and it was Van Der Beek, uh, Lingard and Sancho. And obviously they were warming up as United go 2-0 up. And when I saw that Sancho was coming on, I thought immediately, that's the wrong move because you know it's going to be a like for like change. Um, there's no flexibility there and that formation, which has been problematic all season for United, the 4-2-3-1, was, was start, not even starting to get exposed by Villa. Villa were creating a lot of chances. They'd had a lot of shots at De Gea's goal already. And by the time Jacob Ramsey scored, Sancho still hadn't come on. Now another manager, and, and I think Rangnick, if he could have gone back in time, would have... Chosen a different substitute, or he'd have changed formation, or he'd, he'd done something completely different to what he did. I was still surprised that Sancho came on the first time he got the ball. He was robbed of possession. The crowd was up because it was two one now, and they scented blood. And four minutes later, Villa got their goal. By the time Lingard and Van der Beek came on in the 89th minute, it was pretty much too late. So the the fault mainly i thought uh, was was with rangnick's decision making he was he was dormant in the second half hipsters talk about him being the godfather of german football yet he got out tacticked by a manager who started premier league management in november that that really shouldn't be happening if you have that that coaching cachet but this is a coach who has managed before he came to united 81 matches in um in 10 years and we we always go back to that because it is relevant to how United are developing now or not developing at the moment or or progressing because that lack of um not, not experience, but certainly that that lack of expertise told Gerard, okay, he only started managing in the Premier League in November, but he played in it for what, the best part of 20 years. So he's he's got an intimate knowledge of how games pan out and it was just very routine the way Villa went about it. It was bring, take off a player who'd made a mistake for the second goal, put on Coutinho, who you know, is, is, is at a club like Aston Villa. He, there's there's every chance that he's going to have an impact. And of course, he did have an impact by getting the equalising goal. And after that went in, I, I think Villa this morning uh, might might have been thinking, do you know what, we, sh- we should have really gone for it after we got the second because there was every chance they'd have gone on and won that game. And whatever midfield combination United pick, they are just going round in circles. Matic, as I said, he can hold the four. He can let another player go forward. Great. We all know he's not going to start at Brentford. We all suspect or know that McTominay will come back in with Fred. That is not going to be maximising Fred because Fred is going to have to probably um, sit back a bit more because, for some, not for some reason, but. I don't I don't think it's the right way. I don't think it's the right thing for the team, but they think that there's value in allowing McTomney to get forward all the time, even though he's got two goals all season and the goal he scored against Burnley was his first club goal in ten months. They see him as an attacking midfielder. I don't think many United match goers see him as an attacking midfielder. And of course those two, that, that bubble has burst, if you like, this season. Solskjaer depended on them heavily, but they've been exposed in a number of defeats already this season. And they're not the future for Man United. If, if United wants to become a credible force again, it's not with those two midfielders. At Leicester, it was Matic and Pogba. Pogba's not been a first-teamer since. Pogba's barely played since uh, due, to his, due to his injury and his suspension after the Liverpool game. Pogba-Fred isn't going to work. But when Pogba is fit again... He's he's going to have, United have got about three months left of him because he's almost certainly going to leave for the summer, maybe two and a half months because you've got a two-week March internationals to factor into it. So is there any point integrating him into the midfield? So as I said, we will just go round and round in circles and in every negative result this season, the midfield has been... The biggest problem, and if it's not been the biggest problem, it's been one of the main problems contributing to that result. Matic uh was, was the combination at Watford in the 4-1 defeat when, when McTominay was substituted at half-time. So the personnel is just not right there whatsoever. And as you've said before, if you play van der Beek, probably in a three, I, I'd argue, rather than a two, and if, he doesn't, if he's not up to it, you say... That's why he doesn't play. If he does play well, there's a potential solution. We all knew that he wasn't going to start on Saturday. He probably won't start at Brentford as well, even though he came relatively close to actually nicking a winner at the end when he had a shot that was blocked. But I repeat myself again, but it's it's kind of apt. We just go around in circles with United midfield and I, I can understand why they didn't get a midfielder in the summer, but ultimately it really was an area that they should have that they should have pushed to to reinforce because the balance just was not quite right,
0: and it was quite apparent quite quickly that it wasn't quite right as well. Yeah, exactly. It's been neglected for a long time now, and like I said, it's just so weird that everyone knows Freddie McTominay is not the solution, but it's the it's the pair you want to see every week because the safest. You know it's restricted. You know you need that that flawed duo to be playing. And I know that it maybe it's tedious talking about the midfield situation every week. So should we talk about another crisis, Anthony Marshall? <laughs> United only had eight subs at Villa Park. Ralph rannick said after the game that Anthony Marshall had re- refused to be selected for the match. And then Marshall came out and said the allegations were false on social media. He said he would never do that to the club, particularly to the fans, after seven years there. There's either been a huge breakdown in communication or one of them is lying, Samuel. Uh, maybe before we get too accusationary ourselves, the entire situation, I mean, Marshall's role at United heading into the season you know and this month it looked redundant now it looks quite untenable this is really you know there could have been quite a harmonious sort of divorce this month you know I could let him go and you could say well you gave you know you did a job move on now for for your own sake you've got a world cup to play for at the end of the year it's got a bit ugly now and it it could be an ugly divorce as well where do you stand on it all?
1: Well, where do you start? Um, in regards to the team sheet, it, it hadn't even occurred to me about his absence being relevant um, because he's been an irrelevance for for so such a long time. He's he's just not been considered for selection because he wants to leave. But it was a relevant uh, question to raise given that they only had eight substitutes and two of them were goalkeepers. I mean, wan has been so poor recently that I didn't even give any, any consideration as to why He wasn't on the team sheet either obviously Ronaldo and Rashford stand out that they they were conspicuous by their absences but wan and and Marshall just just weren't whatsoever and really United are paying the price of indulging Marshall uh, four years ago when he, he wanted to leave his agent said he wanted to leave he said it in June 2018 you had the very fraught preseason tour uh, where Marshall played in the first two games. He was given permission to go back to Paris to, to be present for the birth of his son. And then he went AWOL. He was expected back in Detroit for the fourth game. He didn't. Mourinho was unhappy. Marshall got fined, I think, in the post Post Ferguson era, he's the only United player that that has been fined um, that that we know of, anyway, to, uh, to, to say the least. And I think now the way it's heading, it's it's just a symptom of this. If, if there was a cultural reset that Solskjaer presided over, it was to it was to introduce player power because he was too soft with Martial, um, giving him the number nine shirt, thinking that he could be a centre forward. In fairness, Marshall in 2019-20 had a really good season, an underrated season. There were some caveats along the way. He'd salvaged some pretty poor performances with a very key goal. I'm thinking of Chelsea away, City at home. After the restart, he was excellent. But of course, you're playing in crowdless stadiums, so it's not a reliable gauge of, of a player's um, of how switched on a player is. And you just have to look what happened before then. When competition arrived, he crumbled. When Ibrahimovic took the number nine off him, he was passive aggressive on social media, changing his imagery to pictures where uh, his the number nine was very apparent on the back of his shirt. When Sanchez came in five months later, his agent is saying he wants to leave. When Cavani came in, it was to keep Marshall on his toes. Cavani was very much seen by everyone as a backup striker what ended up happening was that he trampled all over Marshall's toes. And you, even that three-match ban Marshall had after he got sent off against Tottenham was was kind of irrelevant there because by the time Cavani did score his first goal at Everton, Marshall was, his suspension had ended. He'd scored midweek against Basak here. He was very much seen as a, as a first-teamer at the time. Um, but with the presence of Cavani, it, he just seemed cowed by it. And then, of course, Ronaldo comes in the summer and you think Marshall's just not got any chance whatsoever of um, being a regular again at United. And you knew coming into this season, we all said it, we all wrote about it, his his United career was pretty much in jeopardy and there was a very good chance that he'd be leaving this year uh, on loan or permanently. And in the four starts he's had every time, apart from maybe the, well, not maybe, but apart from the League Cup game where it's just mass rotation, on the other occasions, you've wondered why is Marshall starting? I think it was Southampton away, Everton away, and um, Villarreal away. So he's not had a home league start all season. And even the goal he scored against Everton, he, he came off injured in the second half, and it was a deflected goal. And you know, I, I know I'm nitpicking, but again, I, I didn't see. I don't think many people saw much justification for starting him in in that game. And of course, it's not a surprise that he wants to leave. That's perfectly understandable. Um, I I think sometimes it's sensible to take the player out of the firing line that they just trained so you're protecting the asset so he doesn't get injured. Um, That's what everybody assumed was the case. Uh, I suspect that was the case, really, after Rangnick was approached by Marshall and Marshall echoed what his agent had said. They didn't go about it the right way in that the agent came out and, you know, communicated the intention on Marshall's behalf Marshall should have gone to Rangnick first and foremost he didn't do that Rangnick said he didn't do that either so um, if we're we're playing you
0: know
1: was it a fib? was it the truth Um, when, when Rangnick first addressed the issue first addressed the matter he was undeniably telling the truth because he then clarified in his next press conference that Marshall had approached him after that game at Norwich and just echoed what his agent had said and Rangnick, in, fe- in fairness, he has no reason to lie with what he said about Anthony Marshall. Um, you know, there are two sides to a story. I get that, but when when he said that about Marshall, I don't think I I don't think anyone was surprised. I wasn't surprised uh, the way it's gone this season, and then I wasn't surprised that Marshall did what he did on on Instagram. Now, as you said, there's either been a dreadful breakdown in communication which is perfectly possible with the way uh, United are run as a football club and the way uh, they, they communicate in general, be it through players, be it to us uh, in, in the press. Under Herrera a few years ago uh, was informed of his contract extension by a letter through the post. Nobody thought to actually you know, call him up or talk to him at the training ground about it. But with Martial, th- th- there have been too many red flags in the past in terms of um, issues there with the manager uh, the, the way that his contract renewal was handled i, I just uh, that was a watershed moment in the they extend his contract on december the 17th i think it was of 20 2018 hours later his agent comes out and says he's pessimistic about a new deal altogether the following day mourinho is sacked 44 days later marshall's agency uh, uh Prematurely uh, announcing that he's he signed a new contract, so that that wasn't a true gauge of commitment. How could it have been within that short space of time? But United didn't care because they were starstruck. They 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 sounded like one of Marshall's fanboys on Twitter. They just thought that he he could win the Ballon d'Or. This guy, he's he's one of these French wingers that seem to be all, all the rage. Uh, we've we've got to keep him, but. His character was um, you know, with Mourinho's assessment of his character, he's completely correct with it. And as Mourinho made the point to Ed Woodward at the time uh, in 2018, that summer, it was that his resale value was high. He had effectively two years left in his contract. He's got even longer now in his contract, but nobody can say objectively that his resale value is higher now than it was in 2018. And you know, it's, He's, he's come to kind of symbolise uh, the this very unsuccessful cultural reset that United introduced, uh, that Solskjaer, uh, in a very subservient way, allowed to continue. And he's not the only one, absolutely not. Pogba is obviously the one that springs to mind. There are other players who've been indulged to a lesser extent, Luke Shaw, Marcus Rashford. But if you're going to do that, the players have to back it up by being successful and they've not been successful.
0: Uh, we've also seen as well, Samuel, the traits of United they are quite stubborn when it comes on to moving these sort of deadwood players. They demand fees that probably don't reflect oh. them. They might on a spreadsheet they might reflect, you know, the a fee that they, they've come up with, but sometimes you just gotta bite the bullet and just for footballing reasons get rid of a player regardless. Um in terms of Marshall, you've already done a story. you did it last month saying, you know, Seville had made an approach, but United wanted half his wages paid and this was it six million pound loan fee as well, um, in, included in that. Do you think United are almost pricing Marshall out of a move this month, or do you think now, after this weekend, they've just got to get rid of him regardless and just have that clean break?
1: They they have got to get rid of him regardless. I still don't think a permanent sale is in the off in this month. Uh, it just seems so unfeasible for so many reasons: the length of contract, the amount of money that United would um, would demand for Marshall. Um, he's Obviously his stock is low at the moment by virtue of a bad 16 months, uh, four starts this season, one goal this season, but he's he's still 26. There's there's a project there, a mini project that a coach somewhere out there would look at and think, I can make him a world-class player because he has got a high ceiling. He might not have the mentality to do it and he wouldn't be the first at United. There have been far worse players uh, to have come to the club and... And, and flops um, d- during the, the post-Ferguson era. Memphis Depay brings to mind. Jane Sancho at the moment is just, be, just dreadful. Uh, whereas Martial has, has shown glimpses during his United career that he has got a world-class ceiling. He's clearly not got the mentality to be a true Man United player um, in, in the guise of Man United players that, that fans think of that are going to bring the glory days back. But he's not a busted flush. He's, as I said, he only turned, I say only, he turned 26 last month. He's not as young as maybe some people think out there, but his, his career is eminently salvageable. And he was still getting picked for, um, uh, by Didier Deschamps last season, even though he probably didn't deserve to be picked. But if, if the relationship between him and Rangnick is that toxic, um, and it's clearly come to a head already and we're only midway through the January transfer window, then they just have to accept that it's in the best interest to get rid of him. Now, maybe there are some in the dressing room who think Marshall's been unfairly treated. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me because it's such a weak and fragile dressing room, but you've got to do what's best for the club. And this year needs to be the year that the player power era ends at United. Mm. Ogba's probably going to go, Marshall's probably going to go, um, a lot of senior players are going to go as well. Not that they've been troublemakers at all, but what I mean is you're clearing the decks. Uh, there are other players to sell who um, you know have kicked off, some with good reason, over a lack of playing time. But with a new manager coming in, that new manager will have the leverage to recruit players in his identity and, try and you know try and give United a new identity as a team. And also that new manager, because he will be the permanent manager, has got to have the authority that Solskjaer never truly had and Rangnick just doesn't have by virtue of being an interim choice. So I I thought initially that to demand his wages be covered in full and a a loan fee of around £6 million was really steep and quite cheeky, really. And they're going to have to drop those demands if they're to get rid of him because Rangnick has effectively um, helped the bargaining hand of any potential buyers out there now.
0: Yeah, like you said, it just seems like this is the year. United need that clean slate, but as I think we've said that every year since Ferguson retired, haven't we? And you just never know what's around the corner, particularly with the way that the club is run. In terms of the next permanent manager as well, Samuel, you've done that piece today on the MEM, which anyone listening to the podcast can go check out as well. And that's that United are working to try and have a will identify who their next permanent manager will be before the end of the season, possibly even appoint them if, if that can be done. Like you said, that will be a huge helping hand ahead of the summer window as well because you can make those decisions early on who the top targets are. You can identify who a new manager might maybe did not see in their plans as well. So what is the latest on United's search for a new permanent manager, Samuel, and who are the names amongst them as well that I know the fans love to hear?
1: There's there's been an encouraging development in that the the, the process is moving quicker than some at the club have have suggested recently. There's I w- I'd hesitate to say there's a confidence uh, w- within the the club hierarchy, hierarchy that they will appoint a new manager before the end of the season, but they're working towards that aim now, and it feels not not necessarily probable, but it's certainly possible. Um, whether they would announce it like City did with Pep Guardiola in 2016 is is unclear because the next the next manager is almost certainly currently employed by someone someone else, and that can be a bit of a minefield because that club might kick off it, it might derail their progress in the season. But United are of the opinion that the sooner the better. Um, you go back to 2013 with the Moyes announcement. I think he was announced as manager on May the 9th. He didn't start work officially until July the 1st, and he literally did not do any work in between. Even though the Premier League season ended well, in mid-May, he, he kind of rather naively just decided to respect the fact that he was still, by virtue of his contracts, the Everton manager and wasn't doing due diligence on the squad. And then you had that absolute mess of the summer where it was like a supermarket sweeps, trolley dash on the final day of the transfer window. Whereas in 2016, Mourinho was appointed in late May. That had been in the post for quite some time as well. He was very um, quick in and decisive in giving his targets to, to Ed Woodward as well in terms of who he wanted to sign in the transfer window. So it, it makes infinite sense to have someone on board, uh, whether it's, you know, a, a gentleman's agreement or a written contract that you, that they're not going to formally announce to to, to supporters so they can do that forward planning because it, it makes no sense to wait until late May parachute to mand you in and effectively the transfer window is open then I know it's not officially but you you, you start working it united start work on the summer transfer window. Pretty much as soon as the previous one closes, so that manager has got to be on board with with targets that they've got lined up, rather than just saying, "Okay, I'll take him," because that can that can cause issues later down the line. Um, Van Gaal signed off on um, the signings of Herrera and Luke Shaw, but they had their difficult first seasons under him um, for for a number of reasons. Herrera was struggling to start for United uh, to get to get a place in the team up until about February, I think. And with Shaw, there was was some mitigation there. But I think that was on that pre-season tour that Van Gaal questioned Shaw's fitness and just said he wasn't up to speed for what, what United needed. And therefore, he then got a lot of injuries as well. So with that very fresh in the mind still with the United hierarchy, it makes sense headhunting or trying to get that manager in as soon as possible. I don't think the manager will be parachuted midway through this season. I still fully expect Rangnick to see out the season as interim manager. Uh, I, I suspect if they can get it done, it will be a Guardiola-style situation where that manager is boxed off, done. He's coming in the summer. Uh, Chelsea did it with, with Antonio Conte that year as well. Uh, so th- that's what they're working towards. But whether they are still able to, to clinch or not remains to be seen. The usual one the usual names are still in in the frame from what I've, I've been told it's still Pocatina and Ten Hag who are the front runners I think there's a bit more momentum behind Ten Hag now uh, just because the, the feeling is that he's more aligned with 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 what Rangnick would see as um, as, as a long-term coach at United that's a, that would obviously be fraught with risks taking a a coach who's 51 from from the Dutch league, where the standard is unrecognisable from from the Premier League, but it, he would also be quite an exciting coach for United supporters. And he's got mm-hmm. he's, he's he's assembled two very good Ajax sides there, and I, I suppose there would be uh, some, some consistent consistently good football to look forward to as well.
0: Certainly on paper anyway. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? Um, but yeah, stick with us at the MEN for all the latest on United's manager search. And yeah, let's hope United can make headlines on the pitch this week for the right reasons as well. Samuel, it's Brentford away on Wednesday night. That rearranged fixture that was scheduled for December was postponed due to the COVID outbreak at the club. It's the first league meeting between United and Brentford since 1947. Of course, they did play in pre-season Last summer, and Andres Pereira scored that absolute ridiculous goal. It was a, a joyous occasion, wasn't it? And yeah, Brentford away on Wednesday night. You know, a team who've played well against big sides already this season. You know, they were resilient against Man City. They had that epic with, uh, with Liverpool. They had the game as well against Chelsea. Of course, they they beat Arsenal in the opening match of the season as well. And um, Brentford away, though, do you expect United to? I was going to say business as usual, that would be a disappointing result, wouldn't it? But do you expect it to be uh, an improvement from what we saw at the weekend anyway?
1: Well, I, I wouldn't be absolutely certain of it, but they, they need a reaction to that collapse in the second half. If, if, they, if they don't win this game, it will confirm what everybody already knows, that they're just too fragile, they're too mentally weak. Um, it, it is getting to the point now where people are wondering, you know, whether this squad, which on paper again it, it does look like a good squad, is as as good as it appears. Again, a bit similar to Villa Park, Brentford away, um, evening kickoff team that have had some good results against some of the other uh, some of the elite in the Premier League already this season. It does have scope for, I'd, I'd hesitate to say an upset. I don't think it would be an upset if Brentford were to actually beat United, but it's got the scope for um, United to to certainly lose that game. Uh, what What was so pleasantly surprising about United in the first 13-35 minutes at Villa was that it was just totally unexpected. And, OK, there was a slice of luck. And sometimes that's, that is all you need, a keeper just... Uh, drops an absolute dolly and it goes in, and the, the fans are singing, the, the opponents are completely discombobulated, their crowd are unhappy, and you take advantage of that. And th- they didn't take advantage of it, unfortunately, th- for United, and that they didn't get that second goal during that dominant spell. And I still think that was crucial. And perhaps that's a lesson that they can learn going into the Brentford game. And I, I suppose a mitigation for Brentford their impressive results this season. They've had a fabulous season. I mean, Thomas Frank has got to be one of the uh, contenders for manager of the year at this rate. But the Arsenal win its first game, th- those games can always be difficult against promoted team and, and that Arsenal side that night, I think they had fewer players than they would have had at the weekend, but they, they didn't try and get that one postponed. And the Liverpool game was an absolute humdinger of a 3-3, and but Liverpool could have, could have still won it at the end as well. So they're not a watertight team. They're they're a very impressive side and they've certainly overachieved and they're going to stay up as well, which was the the only objective they'd have had when they got into the Premier League. And maybe they'll get found out next season, a little bit similarly to Sheffield United, but there's an awful lot to like about them. I think it will be very atmospheric as well. It's it's a shame for... um, for I think all of us, that we never got to go to Griffin Park to cover United at all. And as I said, United, as you said, sorry, United haven't played Brentford in the league since 1947. So it's an occasion really to savour. And again, if if United can win it, um, I I think that will be a, a pretty big stride in the right direction because as big a game as this Brentford game is, that West Ham game next Saturday, sorry, not next Saturday, this Saturday coming, is the biggest game of United season it it says a lot about their season that they were dependent on loathed Leeds beating West Ham at the weekend to to do them a favor which fortunately for United they did do and that makes the West Ham game a, an extremely important one this weekend
0: yeah, it's a very important week, and I guess the final thing, Samuel, is you is just going to be on maybe the team you'd like to see. Any changes you'd like to see? Like we said, of course, Rashford, Ronaldo probably going through his late fitness test. Sean McTominay will be back for the match. Just yeah, short and sweet. Any sort of changes you would definitely make if everyone was fully fit?
1: I'll not not sit on the fence as such, but I, I, I could see I could see Wan Bissaka coming back in if he's fit because of the sorry time Dalo had a. a Villa. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that, but it seems like it will probably happen. You probably imagine Maguire will come back in because of just where was Lindelof for that second goal? Mm-hmm. He, he went Haywall, It was it was very strange. McTominay I think is certain to come back in after Matich plowed through a tree at Villa Park. I've been inclined to keep Milanga in the team Um, on the strength of his first half at Villa. I thought he was an upgrade on on Sancho and and Rashford and neither of those two have done anything recently to suggest that they should be starting at Brentford either. So I, I can see Cavani coming out on the team as well. He started quite a few games in succession of late and Maybe the turnaround is a little bit too tight for him. He didn't have much joy at Villa Park. There were times where he should have got the ball and didn't get the ball, um, primarily from Mason Greenwood. But if Ronaldo is available for that game, maybe he'll be he'll be back to playing Ronaldo up front on his own and hoping that, that Fernandes can, um, can link up with him.
0: Yeah, we shall see. We'll stick with us at the MEM for all the early team news as well for that one. And like I said, we'll have all the updates on Wednesday evening as well. So, Samuel, thank you very much for joining us today on the Manchester Is Red podcast. Thank you, Rich.
1: Pleasure as always.
0: And thank you very much, wherever you are in the world. As always, please do leave a like and subscribe if you aren't already. And we'll see you again next time.